Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. I'm excited about today because we're going to get to know some people, but I've got to tell you a story first because it is story time after all. So... I went to Iceland a few months ago, and I feel like this trip is going to be a part of my any message that I preach for many years to come. But in my trip to Iceland, I went with two of my best girlfriends, and so it was like a, a fun little retreat time for me. I spent a lot of time with the Lord. And on our um, time there, I have to say, if you've not ever been wrapped in a rainbow, you probably are missing out. I highly recommend you getting wrapped in a rainbow. Do you have that? That picture up? I know, you guys. It's one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. And it was such a joy just to see the landscape and the waterfalls and the beauty of that place. There, I don't think I've ever been to a place that stewards what God has giving, given them better than those who live in Iceland. And so on our first day there, we went to, we were just outside the airport, hadn't really seen all that Iceland offers yet, but we were in this lagoon and as we're in the lagoon, we, we go to this nice lunch right outside of the lagoon and the spa retreat and all that. And they had the, the best thing they said that was on the menu was this grilled lamb. So we're like, when in Iceland, right? So we had this grilled lamb and it was so delicious, cooked perfectly. I mean, it just felt like all the things you want on vacation, decadent and rich and flavorful. And so it was so good. And as we go through and we're driving through the landscapes of Iceland, over and over and over, all I see are sheep farms and pastures and pastures of sheep farms. And so much so that we kind of pull over one day and we see these, these guys and I'm just like taking a picture of them, got out of the car, so because they would just stare. There's no actual, the highest predator in um, Iceland is humans. There are no like apex predators. There's no bears or like, you know, big cats or large dogs, like the, like the lamb is just like, everybody here is, is cool with me. There's like <laughs> such innocence. And they stared at me for an awkwardly long time. And I was just mesmerized by this. So I'm telling my kids this story of, you know, they're like, what did you eat? What have you done? What, what did you see? What's it like on the first day? And they're like, and I send them this picture and they're like, you ate that lamb? <laughs> I was like, I know. I'm not going to do it again. I just can't. <laughs> like, we had a moment, and I was like, I, I get it. Like, it's okay. I'm not going to do that again. So as, I'm, as we're continuing to go through, it's like the third day, and I'm thinking about this. Like, how could you eat this cute little lamb? Like, a sheep, okay. Like, maybe it's old, or it's done, or whatever. But, like, the lamb is just sitting there, and you're just like, everything's good. My mom's here, got all the grass I need, and all that. So we get to this waterfall on the third day, and it's crazy. The, if you can see, I don't know, but... There's people down at the very bottom. I don't know if you could see them in the shadows, but this massive waterfall just was breathtaking. And along the side there, those are steps that lead up to the top. And it's a pretty steep climb, I'm not going to lie. We, we did it early in the morning, so there wasn't a lot of people on the trail. There was like a little overlook, but it's so powerful that the closer that you got, you could barely even talk to each other because it was just so loud, the roaring of the waterfall. And so we go up, and that's our view as we come up, 
And then this is over the top of the waterfall. And those, all those little white things are birds just perched by the waterfall, flying around. It was just this moment with the Lord. I sat there for a while and, and talked to him about some things. And so I was, that was about as far as I was going to get um, before I, you know, jumped off the edge and did a swan dive. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, Mom. Um, so, <laughs> but as I'm coming back down after spending this time, I'm walking back down, and closer and closer and closer I get, the more that I see this picture of what is on the other side, the view is different. And so if we could put that picture up, there was this stream and this pasture and these sheep and the shepherd's house and this mountain that covered them. And as I'm walking down these steps, screaming in my spirit is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. And I mean, I was shaking just with the power of this moment that the Lord and I were having. And so I want to read that to you. It says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. And I want to stop right there. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. As I sat there looking at these lambs, I was reminded of the conversation I had with my kids. See, I know what it means to be in the presence of an enemy. Sometimes we invite the enemy in. Sometimes he comes in uninvited. My story, I invited him in. I let lying in. I let obsessive compulsive disorders in. I let addiction in. I let adultery in. I let divorce in. I opened the door to the enemy, and I let him sit at the table. But God in his goodness prepared a feast for me in the presence of the enemy. And do you know what the feast was? It was himself, the innocent lamb. He said, dine on me. I laid down my life for you. As innocent as I saw that lamb in the pasture that day, that is as innocent as our Jesus, our Savior, is for us. And he said, I lay my life at the table because if you feast on me in the presence of your enemies, you will always be satisfied. If you feast on me when there is no enemy, you will be satisfied. If you feast on me, you will be satisfied and your enemies will run, and they will scatter. And I will anoint your head with oil, bringing honor to my name, and your cup will overflow with blessing, and surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. If you would feast on me, not regret that I died, like I was having those guilty feelings, like how could I eat this lamb? But no, he did this so that I would live. He did this so that I would be nourished. He did this so that I would be satisfied. Not to say, no, your gift is not good enough. I don't need it. I invited those enemies in. I should sit at this table and be tormented the rest of my life because I did this. That's not his way. I already did this work. Would you feast on me? It's already been done. Don't waste the meal that I have prepared for you. That ended 15 years ago when I stopped looking at the enemy and began to see the table God had prepared for me. In August of last year, I told that story about my life and what the Lord had done. And this couple, John and Lisa Ward, reached out to me. See, they had invited some things, and there's some places the enemy had come in 
seeking to destroy them. And so as I got to walk along what God was doing in their lives, I thought, man, I've seen some miracles happen as I've walked alongside them. And during this story time, I reached out and said, are you guys ready to tell this story? And they were like, yeah, it's time. So would you join me in welcoming John and Lisa Ward? Yeah, yeah. We're so glad you're here. Oh, man. We're always glad you're here, but this is a, a special day. This is a special day. So have a seat. So, you guys doing, doing well today? This looks a lot like your little friend in the picture. <laughs> We're going to need to mic you. <laughs> so nobody, nobody online misses your jokes. <laughs> yeah, it looks like our little friend. He's, I think that one's still alive. Um, <laughs> so we're so glad to have you guys here. Um, it's been such a joy to walk with you. I know I haven't gotten a chance to walk with you as long as some others even that are here, you know, to see your, hear your story played out um, that's been written before them, but I'm so thankful that you're here. So we're going to get to know the wards today. You guys good with that? Awesome. So John, we're going to start with you, and I'd love for you to just share with us kind of how the story began. Sure. Thanks, Aaron. And good morning, everyone. <laughs> Most of my life story and my adventure, my journey, uh, I've come to realize is a search to regain my identity and discover the spiritual DNA that God has imprinted on the bones of my life. Um, my, my defining years, my early years, uh, from ages 10 to 18, I, I began to develop this uh, belief system about myself and my identity. Uh, see, I, I grew up in the church. I came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ at the age of 10. Uh, unfortunately, I was exposed to pornography shortly after accepting Christ as my Savior and having a relatively immature faith at that point. All I really knew is that it was wrong. Um, and in, in shame, I hid uh, in isolation, and I began to condition myself to believe that I was worthless and believe that all I ever did was make mistakes. I developed a significant fear of failure, fear of embarrassment, and fear of being alone. Um, and I, I compensated for all, the, all of my sins with other adulterous, uh, idolatrous behaviors uh, like perfectionism, uh, striving for excellence, and, and a, a deep need for affirmation uh, of my accomplishments. Uh, this conditioning really continued throughout high school uh, to a point where I became so bound and blinded by my sin that I accepted this cycle of shame and guilt and deception as my life, and, and that's just who I was, and mm -hmm. that, that was my identity. Um, and I, I kind of relate this, this pattern to the, the truth of Samson's downfall, not comparing myself to Samson, of course, but after his power was taken from him, the, the Philistines put out his eyes and bound him in chains and set him to grinding out the rest of his life. And isn't that exactly what the enemy does, right? Mm -hmm. He First he takes our vision so we can't see what's coming. We no longer recognize ourselves as God sees us. And we can't even see that what we're doing is so wounding. Um, and then he binds us in our sin and sets us to grinding out mm -hmm. the rest of our days, mm -hmm. right? We're done, game over. Uh, at least that's that's what I thought. And that's how I lived, right? Mm -hmm. That's I accepted that. That's how it was going to be. Uh, my my refining years uh, in college, uh, the ages eighteen to twenty-one, I, I really reinforced this status I had built for myself of achieving excellence. I became really self-centered and self-sufficient, even uh, because when you hide in the shadows of guilt and shame and deception. 
uh, you're forced to rely on yourself because mm -hmm. you don't think there's anyone else in the world that you can trust. Um, I lived entitled. When I saw something, I wanted it. Uh, I figured out a way to make it mine. Um, and, and that's when I met Lisa. I even decided that she was going to be the one I wanted to marry and told my roommate that day, it's going to happen and make this happen. And this conditioning of my identity and uh, in, in this spiral of acting out my beliefs about myself caused me to compromise and wound not only my own self, but my future wife as well. Um, my, I call the, ne the next years my declining years, uh, as if it wasn't bad enough already. Um, I acted out everything I believed I was for the next 20 years, heavy into pornography, heavy into alcohol consumption. Addictions manifested themselves. Uh, my selfishness grew out of control. I did what I wanted when I wanted because I could, because I was entitled and I had no accountability. Um, my self-centeredness really led to a continuous immoral lifestyle, uh, having multiple affairs, wounding and restricting myself, my wife, and my children, my legacy, my destiny, my inheritance, and, and worst of all, I was living outside of God's blessing and protection for my family. I, uh, I got so good at hiding in the shadows that reality no longer looked real. And I landed in this lifestyle of aggressive opulence, drunkenness, deception uh, that really compressed the entire prior 20 years of my life into this destructive near-death downfall. Uh, I was discovered having another affair. Uh, I moved out. I was angry. I was bitter. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed that I got caught. I was deeply, deeply depressed. I was at an incredibly low, dark, and lonely place, uh, surrounded by some strange things. My open Bible, empty bottles, and my handgun just, just out of reach. It's a scenario that you can see only ends two ways. It's either tragically or miraculously, right? Praise God. Um, prior to starting down the road to divorce uh, with Lisa, we decided to meet on neutral ground for a conversation. Uh, God had other plans that day. Uh, November 18th, 2020, uh, on the way to meet Lisa, my healing began. Uh, and when, when she found me in a parking lot at Publix, I experienced God's freedom through spiritual deliverance from oppressive entities that had plagued me my whole life for the first time. Not the last time. I'm sorry. <laughs> for the first time, um, I experienced God's freedom. Mm. Wow. Amazing. Oh, and we're just getting started. It's just like, hold on. You might, you just need to, woo. It's good. Woo. 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 We're mowing. <laughs> yeah. So my side of, of the story, um, I grew up in a Christian home, went to a Christian school, onto a Christian college. I had asked Jesus into my heart when I was seven, and um, my, my striving was to be the good Christian girl. I, I wanted to be the epitome of who I was supposed to be and follow all the rules, and I was pretty good at it. <laughs> um, I, I thought I was doing all the right things, um, but I never understood the part about a real relationship with God. I, I don't think I had been taught that. I'd heard about it, but I don't think it had been taught as a reality. Um, John and I dated in all four years I was at college. He was a year ahead of me and graduated a little early. But um, early on, he shared with me his struggle with pornography. And um, boy, I was so naive as to what that encompassed and what that meant. I thought that was cool that he was honest and vulnerable. Um, and beyond that, I thought, OK, that'll, that'll be fine once we get married. Nope. <laughs> Boy, was I naive. Um, we got married the summer after I graduated in 2001, um, and it, it wasn't all that I dreamed of. 
It was, it was not fulfilling my expectations. Um, something always just felt off. And if you'd asked me, I couldn't have told you um, what it was until um, I started discovering some things. And I think during the first 12 years of our marriage, there were about three or four times that I discovered that John was not honoring our marriage vows. Um, and that was really painful and infuriating <laughs> because I liked things to, um, I liked to be in control of my life and my situations. And um, that was something I could not control. He was always immediately remorseful and seemed relieved to be caught sometimes so we could work through it. And um, divorce was never an option. Um, but because of that, I felt like I was living in this constant tr struggle to try and set boundaries, healthy boundaries. I just wanted guardrails. I just wanted to feel safe. Um, but even the safeguards failed because boundaries was not something that um, John wanted to talk about. <laughs> Um, and I just, I began to be conditioned that this was just our norm. It's just the way it is for us. This is how we function and operate as a couple. Um, like I didn't have a choice. Things probably looked um, pretty good on the outside, but it was getting really bad. And even during my pregnancy with Lucas, who's our two-year-old, <laughs> um, I remember getting up during the night for the hundredth time to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and I was walking down my hallway and God spoke to me so clearly that I literally stopped in my tracks and heard his voice and he said, do you trust me? And I said, yes, yes, I trust you, God. And then I realized it maybe wasn't a theoretical question. And I, I thought, what, wait, what, what did I just say? What's coming? <laughs> and um, I thought it might have something to do with Lucas because we'd been told when I was 10 weeks pregnant that he was going to have Down syndrome when he was born, and they labeled me a high-risk pregnancy, lots of extra testing, and um, that was really stressful, but, you know, however God created this, this little man he gave us, we were totally fine with, so we weren't stressing about it, but I thought that's what God was talking about. Do you trust me? Um, when Lucas was born and everything was fine with him, his health was great, um, I kind of forgot about that question that God asked. Um, our marriage and relationship, on the other hand, after Lucas's birth, was really tanking. I felt left on my own to take care of a newborn, homeschool our other four kids, um, and during this time, John was making his work his number one priority. Um, he seemed to be living his best life. He was traveling, you know, eating great meals, going to cool places, um, out late nights drinking, just not at home with us. Um, in September of 2020, I saw a text that made me think he was cheating on me, and my heart panicked, just absolutely panicked. And I remember God asking me that question, do you trust me? And I thought, that's, that's the only direction I can go. That's all I've got is trusting in God. So I leaned in with all I had, um, knowing there was no other way to handle it on my own. I was going to need him to carry me and walk with me. So I began to seek him for all of my needs. My main focus was um, to position myself directly in his will so that no matter what was going on on either side of me, I knew I was going to be safe. Like I just saw it as a very narrow path, and I just wanted to be right there, one foot in front of the other. Whatever was happening around me, I wasn't going to focus on it. I was just going to focus on God's will. That's where I felt like I would be safe. When um, I was sure that my worst fears were true and I confronted John with my evidence, um, this time was different because there was no remorse. He wasn't sorry, um, and that was another shocker to me. Um, but it was the point at which the bottom fell out. However, because I had been walking on that narrow path, I felt like I was standing on a rock. Even though that was the worst thing that could have happened, I felt secure. Um, God gave me some promises, which was really cool during that time of leaning in. Um, they really carried me. He, he spoke these words, and then I went and sought them in Scripture to, to learn more about what he meant by that and what he had already said about that. And the first thing he said to me was, all things new. And I found that in Revelation 21.5. And he said, uh, and let's see, and he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And I hadn't had much trustworthy and true, so that really resonated with me. I also wasn't a writer, so I started a journal. 
That's what God said to do. Um, he also promised me exceedingly abundantly more. And that was from Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, think, or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. I knew he was going to do something big in my life, but I didn't know how any of that was going to go. And you know how I feel about control. <laughs> so that would have been <laughs> helpful information. But... Um, and he gave me the peace that passes all understanding. He just kept resonating that from Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That sounded really good to me, too. So uh, later he spoke from Joel 2, 25 and said, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. And uh, I was looking forward to that because it had been a hard 20, 24 years. Um, and a little restoration in that department felt, felt pretty promising. So these promises gave me hope, and I returned to them often when I felt entirely hopeless. Um, I had something to anchor me to come back to. So that day John mentioned, um, November 18th, when we met, we literally came face-to-face -face with spiritual warfare. Um, I was relieved and in awe as I watched God deliver John from the strongholds of alcoholism. Like, that was, that was done. That was done that day. Um, adultery, lying, and so many others. We didn't know at the time about God's deliverance and healing that those places need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, um, but God was doing a work. And we agreed to go to intensive marriage counseling to try and save what we had because we, we knew God was doing something. Um, the counseling illuminated the truth that had been hidden in darkness, but it really didn't touch on healing. Um, in the end, I was still all in, and ready and willing to forgive, um, but John just kept saying he couldn't commit, and that, that's a problem <laughs> when you're trying to restore marriage. Um, so our counselor suggested separation, but to me, separation felt like enabling. We'd still be married, but I'd be giving him permission to go live whatever life he chose with zero accountability to me, and um, on the other hand, I couldn't fathom actually filing for divorce. That was the last thing I wanted. It was never an option for me in my life. Um, but God spoke again, and he quieted my heart and said, make a clean break. He gave me peace to take that step, which felt so weird um, to have peace in a decision like that. And um, God had a lot more to work out in, in both of us during that time. And I filed for divorce in mid-January. 2021, just last year, and we started living two separate lives. Mm. Wow. So take us from there, that point, John. So this, this is where, yeah, so January to August 2021, we lived completely separate lives. I moved out again. We were absolutely getting a divorce in my mind. There was no chance, zero chance to restore a marriage. I was not seeking reconciliation. I had accepted that this is the path we're on now. Yet, I still was seeking after God. This was the path. It must be part of his plan, clearly, uh, because surely Lisa and I are done. And I wanted God's blessing in this new life. I had a new house, a new relationship, a new way to raise my kids, uh, but I wanted to do it right this time. Um, although I was completely free from alcohol, uh, November 18th, 2020 did a number on mm -hmm. me, let me tell you. Even though I was free from that aspect of oppression, I was not living a whole life that honored God. And I really, really wanted him to bless me in, in my new life. Um, I had created new patterns and new rhythms. Uh, most of them were good. Um, one of them being that I rarely missed a day spending time with God. Um, sometime in mid-July 2021, I pulled this book off my bookshelf. I love to read. This is called The Prayer of Jabez, Breaking Through to the B Blessed Life. Man, sounded pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
The prayer of Jabez is a simple prayer from 1 Chronicles 4, 9, and 10. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil and that I might not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. Yes. Mm. That's, that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. Yes, that's what I wanted. So I started praying that prayer every day. And mind you, I'm not praying for reconciliation. I'm not praying for restoration. I'm praying for blessings in this new life. On July 26th last year, God really got a hold of me. Four days, this is four days before our divorce mediation was to take place. I was on the back porch alone, having my devotions, and the Holy Spirit just started stirring. And from what I had learned in the past, that sometimes this can be a loud and emotional experience. Uh, so I went inside because I didn't <laughs> think my neighbors would want to try to figure out what was happening. Um, I, and I fell on my face and just started weeping and crying out to God. What do you want from me? What do you want from me? I was saying this out loud. Mm -hmm. What do you want from me? And for the first time, I heard God speak back. It wasn't an audible voice, but deep in my spirit, I heard his response. And repeatedly, he said, I just want your heart. I just want your heart. I'm like, how do I do that? How do I do that? I hear you, God. How do I do that? Mm -hmm. And he said, give me the part of your heart. Remember, I wasn't living a whole life. So I had retained part of my heart. He said, give me the part of your heart that you've given away and the part that you have hidden from me. I'm thinking I had done that when I was 10 years old, I thought. But really, I had taken I had taken my heart back. I had wrapped it up in shilt, in in shame and guilt and deception, and and a multitude of other. You like that? Mm -hmm. Shilt. It's close. It's uh, borderline. It's, but it's pretty accurate. It's <laughs> shilt. I like that too. I must start using that. <laughs> Among other things, all these false identifiers and strongholds, I just I couldn't let go of. And I, I was at a place where I couldn't see what God had imprinted on my heart and the DNA he had etched in my bones. I had this skeleton and the framework for the destiny he had for me, but I was so bound and blinded that my, my flesh and my breath were just stripped away. All I could see is who I believed I was and not who God says I am. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I surrendered and took a posture of humility, vulnerability, and really surrendered that part of my heart back to him, that part that he still wanted, that I began to discover him and to gain strength and I could start to breathe again and he started to refill those holes that the enemy had left behind and over the course of the next uh, months God began to refresh a very withered and weary life he turned selfishness into surrender he turned oppression into obedience mm -hmm. he turned fear into faith guilt into grace, doubt into deliverance, and chains of shame into a glorious new name. <laughs> right? So if you ever wonder, and we usually sit right over here, if you ever wonder what's happening during praise and worship, <laughs> that's, that's just me celebrating what God has done. That's me celebrating my identity in Him, I'm celebrating the dead things that he has brought back to life, yes. and I can't Woo! help it sometimes. I mean, Woo! we were a little low-key this morning, <laughs> that's all right. I was a little nervous about coming up here. 
but that's that's me that's letting you. it loose. That's me letting it loose just because I can't help but celebrate what God has done. Mm-hmm. And it's um, Psalm. I know, guys. Can we just whoa, woo? We're gonna woo with you, John, because Psalm 32 says, "Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure." That's why you shout, John, because your heart is pure. Woo! Woo, so tell us why. I know we're all, that we're going to be a wooing church. This is good. Um, I like it. So, um, Lisa, tell us what's going on during this time um, with what God's doing in your heart. Yeah, so um, after filing for divorce, um, I walked through a lot of healing, too, and um Taking it back to that that January, last January, um, I was invited to a Freedom Weekend with LL. If you have not been, I highly encourage you to go check that out. Um, the first thing that really struck me was I heard the question, do you want to be healed? Yes, yes. I, I don't want to feel like this anymore. I couldn't live um, just buried in this rejection and abandonment and betrayal. And it was just so dark and deep. And I did not want to sit there a minute longer than I had to. So I wanted freedom from all of that. I wanted healing. And if you've got a way to, to tell me how to do that, then let's do it. I want to do that right now. Um, so I was highly motivated. <laughs> um, I wanted to learn more about uh, the ministry that LL was, was sharing, the things they were speaking of. And so I joined their classes. And they would do one weekend a month um, in their Explore classes. And so the first one started in February. And right up front, during worship, very first thing, um, God spoke to me and said, I am a shield around you. And boy, that that felt good to hear. (laughs) Um, That safety thing I was talking about, just knowing that I didn't have to hold it all together. He was a shield around me. And he gave me a vision and a picture of what that looked like, which was just really precious. Um, And I knew I'd heard that before, but I wasn't sure where it was in Scripture. So I looked it up, and I found Psalm 3.3. And he says, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the lifter of my head. The following month in March, I I went in for an extra ministry day and focused on forgiveness. That uh, caused a shift in me. Forgiveness is very powerful. Um, And I think the biggest part of that was that I was releasing John from my judgment because um, he had the guilt and shame Plenty of that came from me, I'm sure. So I was I was not helping matters by holding him in my judgment, and I needed mm. to let go of that and give it to God and just get out of the way. In April, the following month, um, something that struck me was hearing things have to die in order to come back to life. And um, I really saw that as my twenty, almost 20-year marriage, like we were just months away from what would have been our 20th anniversary. Um, and, and that marriage was dead, no matter how you looked at it. That was dead and gone. So throughout all of this, God was just continuously speaking to me, do you trust me? Trust me. Trust me. And he has proven himself so faithful. Um, So I I had to. I had to keep trusting him. It it was working. (laughs) He was true. Um, Coming up on Mediation Day, July 30th, that was the day before my birthday, Um, It felt like the beginning of the end, but at that point, I was just ready to be done with that whole process and kind of get on with my life. Uh, I, too, had accepted that this was just what we were doing. This was God's path. I I knew he told me to walk that way, uh, but so many people were praying. So many people were praying for reconciliation. (laughs) Um, I was on the phone with a friend the whole drive to my lawyer's office, and right before she hung up with me, she said, wait, 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 God wants me to tell you something. He wants me to tell you, trust him. Do you trust him? Lisa, say it out loud. Do you trust me? I'm like, okay, God, yes, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. Um, but that, that, that day, eight hours, mediation failed um, miserably. Nothing got done. I was so discouraged, and I just felt defeated and really confused as to why this was happening. Um, But God was moving mountains, and he was answering the prayers of those faithful friends who were praying. Um, My LL friends, Kathy, later told me that they were storming the gates of heaven, praying for reconciliation. They they weren't playing. There was no other option. They were praying for reconciliation, and um, I so appreciate that now. (laughs) 
After mediation, John was going to take the kids for a few days because the next day was my birthday, and I just wanted to decompress. Um, but he ended up having them for 10 days because I got COVID. <laughs> and um, so I was had a lot of alone time to ponder. He had not a lot of alone time. <laughs> and um, I think it was about a week later, on August 7th, um, I was at peace. I was working on a puzzle. It was like 11 o'clock at night. And I just said out loud, um, God, I just want my husband back. It, that was the first time that thought had really crossed my head. And when I say things out loud that I know don't really come from me, I know that's God. Um, but I felt like declaring that activated something because that was that was a shift. That night, John texted me, um, and it was a completely different tone. God had been working on him throughout that whole time, but he sent me a text and said, how are you doing, Lisa? And I'm like, huh? <laughs> um, so... God. We basically didn't talk for eight months. No, it was an avoidance. Yes. Like, didn't even want to look at him. <laughs> Come pick the kids up, and I, I just didn't even want to look at him. So the fact that that came through, I knew something was up. Um, but John had surrendered to what God had asked of him, and um, the healing and the restoration, the reconciliation, all began. Um, but healing is hard, and I had no idea like, I thought we'd done the hard part, but walking through the healing process was really hard, too. Um, John battled, and we battled together. I'm talking spiritually battling. Um, it really hurt at times. Um, we felt like we were taking baby steps, and there were several setbacks, but we were constantly moving forward in the right direction, and we didn't quit. We didn't give up. Um, during this time, I had been coming to Overflow, for about a month and a half or so, and um, John came with me a couple times to my LL weekends, and he became to, began to come to Overflow, and then we joined a missional community, and we met with Aaron and Mickey for some ministry. Uh, we were also doing individual counseling during this time. We wanted to be healed. Um, so those promises that God had made me, they were starting to come to fulfillment too, which was really awesome to see because I had just been walking in them trusting. Um, all things new, all means all, and new means new, mm -hmm. yes. period. Um, we had a new wedding. We made new covenant vows. We got new rings for one another. Um, the exceedingly bun abundantly more than we could. <laughs> there we are. Our kids walked this journey with us. They were right there with us this whole time, praying. Um, they got to see their prayers answered as well, which was really cool. Exceedingly abundantly more, we have a new baby coming. <laughs> <laughs> we had no idea God wanted to give us um, this new blessing, and we are very excited about that, but totally exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask, think, or imagine. Um, restoring the years that the locusts destroyed. We have a whole new level of intimacy and trust and friendship um, that continues to grow stronger each day. Like, we're still in this, guys. We're still being restored. We're still walking through healing. Uh, we are by no means finished in this process. It's it's only been a year. <laughs> yeah, these things, these dates he's talking about, that was a year ago, almost to the day right now. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. What I learned from the question, do you want to be healed? Um, it doesn't take years to find that healing and freedom. Um, I know God works in different people in different time frames and in different ways, but I think so much of it is what we choose to hang on to and what we choose to lean into. Um, you can have peace and freedom right now where you are if you've been seeking that and it's been a while and it feels like nothing's happening. I would really encourage you to seek out um, a healing ministry, seek out our ministers are amazing and wonderful. Have someone walk with you if you don't know how to begin that process and you feel stuck. Ask for help. Mm -hmm. Ask for help. Um, last week's worship song that we sang, Out of That Grave, that kind of, I was already dwelling on all this and that really drove it home for me. Walk out of that grave. Get out of there. He's calling your name. When he calls your name, walk out of that grave. Take those steps. Um, the changes in me, God was breaking down things that he wanted to make new too. Um, he was turning control into surrender, judgment into grace, my agenda into his will, 
and needing to know how it would end into trusting him. Wow. Amen. Woo! <laughs> yeah. This is a, such a big deal, I think, um, to see you guys talk about this. When we first started, we talked about how um, in Psalm 23 the, that the Lord sets a table, prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And both of you, he set and prepared a table for you. And you each chose to feast on Jesus. You, you chose to get up daily with your father and make that a priority. And he led you there. And he was patient with you even when you're like doing both sides, walking both sides, right? He's just patient and good. Um, and with you, Lisa, you feasted on the words that he had given you as your promises when you felt hopeless. And over time, um, in marriages, the enemy wants us to pit ourselves against each other as the enemy. That's his tactic, always. That you, with the person I look across from, my partner becomes my enemy. And over time, that healing that you talked about, the Lord started pivoting your feet so that you would become partners in your battle against the enemy who was trying to defeat you both. And man, is he good. The Lord is so, so good that he would position you next to each other and give you those promises from Psalm 23. So I want to put those up again. If we could get that slide of Psalm 23, that second portion. It says, my cup, you honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows and that oil is the healing and then it says, my cup overflows with blessing. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. And so you're still in the midst of a story that we get to watch unfold, that we get to see the Lord's goodness continue to abound as we celebrate your sixth child being born, as we watch your kids grow up. Like, that's what being a part of a, a church is to be. So... I know it just in this last year, as the Lord's continued to um, build your faith and renew your mind to the things of the Lord, he gave you a vision, and, I, and it resonated so much with me about your, your cup overflowing and your, his goodness and mercy following you. So I thought it would be so important for you to share that. Um, as you just spent time with the Lord, he gave you this vision. Will you share that with us, Sean? Sure. Uh, so back in March uh, of this year, um, on my journey through the Bible, I found myself in Ezekiel 37, which covers the valley of dry bones, right? where Ezekiel has this vision and God takes him by the Spirit into a valley of dry bones and speaks to him there. And, and I asked God, what, what does this mean for me? It's kind of a cool story, right? The dry bones come back to mm -hmm. life and they become an army and... Uh, I know it's written uh, for the Israelites, and, and I'm asking God, I know this is about you restoring your kingdom, but how do I apply that to me? What does that, what does that mean here, right? Mm -hmm. um, and he started showing me, and, and I started praying and just writing down what he said. Um, and I just want to read it over our community uh, today, and maybe you can relate, relate to some of it. Uh, perhaps God has something for you. Possibly God has something in your life that he desperately wants to bring back to restore, to renew, to refresh. And, and, and this is what I, I saw and what I wrote. And Lord, put your hand on me. Take me by your spirit. Take me to that desolate place, a place that I don't want to go, where only... Uh, where I can only see through your eyes. Uh, you don't just send me on my own. You always go with me. You go before me. You bring me out by your Spirit. Together we observe. Together we experience. And together we declare. We gather in that valley. It's such a, it's such a dark place. Death surround, uh, surrounds us. But you're there. And I am comforted. You led me among dead things. You showed me all the dry bones. There was a life. There was a marriage. There was a business. There were relationships. There were dreams. 
There was an identity, there were emotions, there was creativity, there was excitement, there was adventure, there was communication, there was understanding, there was passion, there was my inheritance, there was my destiny. It was all scattered and chaotic. It was everything under the sun and it was everything that was meaningless to me. Then you asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then you told me to declare to those dead things, those dry bones, to those things that had no meaning. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I declared to those dry bones, those dead and meaningless things, just what God told me. I said, life, you have meaning. You matter to God. He will breathe life back into you. He will put flesh on your bones, cover you in skin, and put His Spirit in you. Then you will know that He is God. Marriage. You have meaning. You matter to God. He will breathe life back into you. He will put flesh on your bones and cover you in skin and put His Spirit in you. Then you will know that He is God. Business, relationships, dreams, you have meaning. You matter to God and He will breathe life back into you. He will put flesh on your bones, cover you in skin and put His Spirit in you. Then you will know that He is God. Identity, you have meaning. You matter to God. He will breathe life back into you. He will put flesh on your bones, cover you in skin and put His Spirit in you. Then you will know He is God. Emotions, creativity, excitement, adventure, communication, understanding, and passion. You all have meaning. You matter to God. He will breathe life back into you. And He will put flesh on your bones. He will cover you in skin and put His Spirit in you. Then you will know that He is God. Inheritance and destiny. You have meaning. You matter to God. He will breathe life back into you. He will put flesh on your bones and cover you in skin and put His Spirit in you. Then you will know that He is God. As I declared what God told me, I heard a noise. It was dry bones rattling. It was death running. It was grave clothes falling. It was life gathering, structure forming, strength gathering, Blood covering, it was my soul coming back to life through the breath and Spirit of God. My father said to me, breathe again, my son. Everything is meaningless until my spirit is in it. Your life is destined for my glory and your good. I love you, son. We walked into this dark valley together. My light will guide you through the wilderness, to a horizon you cannot see. I am right there with you. I will guide you. I will stand beside you. I will shield you. I will carry you now. Your present is what I want. Your past no longer defines you. Your future is secure. Live now. Today is your destiny. Thank you, Father, that we can know you are our God. Amen. Thank you guys for sharing. Will you stand with me? Because there are some things in this story that each of us can resonate with. And I'm going to stand as one who has lived John's story. And that was 16 years ago. And they are a year out. And you might be day one. But God is still a God of abundant blessing for you. And he is saying, breathe again. Breathe again. Let my life come to you. You don't have to keep anything hidden from me. My heart for you. 
My heart for you knows no limits. My love for you knows no bounds. But you've got to decide to trust me with those things. I heard a story earlier this week from uh, an article where Anne Graham Lotz was talking about this um, conference that she went to and she was teaching a group of women pastors who are all from China. And she looked around and she's like, whoa, where are the men? And she said, and they all said, they're in prison. They will imprison the men because to remove the man is to remove this protection that God provides, this honor that God provides, this leadership, this love, this one half of a whole, they will remove. And so the women have risen, praise God, and stepped into a role that God had planned for them. But I'm telling you, there is an assignment against men in our country, and it is pornography. And it is shackling the men of God. It is shackling you. And when I think about our Heavenly Father, our Jesus, who stood and had a naked woman in front of him, and he saw her identity. He didn't exploit her in her nakedness. Though she was guilty, he did not exploit her in her nakedness. And every time we see those women like that, men of God, you're exploiting their nakedness. I am begging you to rise out of that pit, to step out of that grave, to stop being shackled by this. There is no guilt or condemnation or shame against you. There is an invitation to come and step into your true identity, your true identity. We need your voice. We need the masculinity that you bring, power that you bring. Please, I am begging you. We need to hear more stories like this. Men of God who have said that life is not for me. It offers me nothing, it satisfies me nothing. I will feast on Jesus all the days of my life. I beg you, young men, young women, Old men, old women, please be unshackled. Be free. And during this time, will you bow your heads? Because this is such an important moment. I'm going to invite John and Lisa to come to the front. There is a blessing and an anointing upon them to receive and release you into a blessing and a destiny. To release the chains that bind you. This altar is free for you. This altar is a free place. There is nothing you can confess in this moment. that will be exploited. You don't need to be ashamed anymore. You don't need to be embarrassed anymore. I'd ask Pastor Cindy and the ministers to come. This is a safe place. This is a safe place for you. There are no eyes looking around. This is you and Jesus. If your marriage is at a point, one is far away, the other seeking the Lord. Both are far away, or both are seeking the Lord. And man, you just keep, your pivot is off. You're fighting against each other. Come, just come. Let the shackles fall. Be free. Be released. Be anointed. Be blessed. Come feast on Jesus. He has prepared this altar with himself. If you are struggling with addiction, alcoholism, control, perfectionism, judgment, pornography, 
gaming, any addiction and affliction that torments you. You say, if I, if I could just get rid of this, if I could just get rid of this, then me and Jesus would be okay. There's a hidden piece of your heart. Come right now. Come right now. Don't you want to be well? Don't you want to be healed? Don't you want to be healed? Don't you want to be well? Come feast on Jesus and let these ministers pray for you. Let them pray. Let them come. do it by yourself you don't have to do it by yourself that's the enemy saying I'm just gonna stay in my seat and I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna do the work and I'm not gonna worry about what everybody else thinks I'm not gonna get the blessing I'm not gonna get the freedom I'm not gonna get somebody walking alongside me I don't need any of that that is the lie I'm telling you that is the lie that is the lie. We need each other. We are meant to walk together. We are meant to face things together. We are meant to be encouraged with one another. You're only seeing one facet of Jesus. So I release you to come. I release you to come. If you need a refreshing, come, a refreshing, a blessing over your marriage, come. If you would like the release and power of the praise that comes from John and Lisa, the praise, that ballad, that echo, that joy, come. Are we going to be the vulnerable? the one who knows that God is our strength? Are we going to be vulnerable with each other? Or are we going to just always have it all together? Think we have it all together. It takes courage to be vulnerable takes courage. It takes courage. So come and be courageous, people of God. Come and be courageous. Come and be courageous. Have you been ashamed? Have you sat in a place of shame and guilt? Have you sat in a place of shame and guilt and condemnation? Then come and get a hug. Will you come and get a hug? Will you come and receive a hug and embrace? An embrace of your Father who loves you, your Jesus who died for you, the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Would you come and be embraced by one of his servants to release the shame and the guilt 
and then condemnation for freedom to come. Will you just come and be embraced? do by ourselves. This is the work we do together. author of the story. Jesus is the author of the story. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, and he is the author of your story. that the my generation nicotine addiction smoking was turned over in my generation and the thought that I can't even think about it and find anything good in it and my prayer is that for the generation of my children pornography will look the same way that in Jesus' name that will be turned over and the next generation will say, absolutely not, no, no. And the campaign for truth and righteousness will come. It will come. We will see it. <laughs> 